Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind him. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams is right. Williams gonna throw. One on one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's gonna take it. for the possible win. Snap, spot, kick away, high enough, long enough. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Hunter Barth. Good gosh, dirty! This is the Heel Tough Blog Oh, yes. What's going on, guys? It's the Heel Tough Blog Podcast here on a Monday night after uh, a game that will probably produce a highlight that will be in the open starting next year at some point uh, because I can only imagine uh, what the call from Jones Angel sounded like. I did not actually see it yesterday. I did not watch back the highlights uh, like I probably should have um, as we were, you know, of course, still – uh, scrambling around yesterday, uh, going to the Smith Center to watch uh, Carolina take down Lehigh. Um, just part of an amazing weekend. Uh, but we're here to talk to you about the first part of that amazing weekend for Carolina, which is a win on Saturday night in Keenan Stadium over the Duke Blue Devils. And uh, it, it could not have been a more dramatic victory. I told you guys this when we were sitting here previewing this game. I said, I think this is probably going to be another one of these dramatic type of finishes. I asked you what you know we, we were thinking, what could possibly uh, be more dramatic than some of the ones that we've seen here in years past. And I'll be damned if that wasn't uh, just as crazy, if not crazier, than some of the ones uh, that we have seen over the past few years. Carolina pulls out a 47-45 victory in double overtime over the Duke Blue Devils. Um, it was a game that, you know, looking back on it, there's a lot of things that Carolina's got to clean up. It's probably a game that in most people's minds, Carolina shouldn't have won. And we'll talk about the different reasons why Carolina probably shouldn't have won the game. But we'll also have to talk about the reasons why Carolina did win the game and some things that uh, just, you know, continue to be special about this Carolina team. But uh, I mean, I think the biggest thing is, is again, I talked about how crazy it has been between these two sides here uh, in years past. This is the third time in the last five meetings. Carolina's won all five of them, by the way. Mac Brown has won 13 straight now against the Duke Blue Devils. But this is the third time in five matchups where it has come down to uh, not just late in the game. We're talking about the final uh, in, in the three matchups, the final 18 seconds of each matchup, 18 seconds to go back in 2019. Uh, Chaz, Chaz Surratt picks off. Um, I'm blanking on the name of their quarterback at the time uh, that he ends up picking off right uh, down near the goal line. Um, actually, it was the running back. That's right. That threw the ball uh, directly to him on one of the oddest play calls you will see down near the goal line ever. Um, you know, then 16 seconds to go last year in Durham, uh, Carolina uh, ends up, you know, getting a drive down the field late. Antoine Green toe taps in the end zone on a, an amazing throw uh, from Dre. Carolina wins that one in their building. And then, of course, this game, uh, Carolina uh, the final play of the game, an incomplete pass from Grayson Loftus into the back of the end zone, trying to find uh, Jordan Moore as the Tar Heels uh, end up holding on in double overtime to pick up a 45, uh, 47, excuse me, to 45 
victory over the Blue Devils. So the ultimate question is, where does this rank? It's got to be right up near the top. Maybe the, mo the, the craziest matchup that we've seen between these two sides ever. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, they, they effectively played what we see on the basketball court on the football field. They delivered an instant classic. Um, and I think for my lifetime, it's the most dramatic game I've seen them play. Uh, on the football side of things, last year was nuts just because of the way that Carolina won the game. Then they had almost lost the game. And then the, the, the spectacular plays that were made to help win the game. Um, you look back at 19, you know, that was one that shouldn't have been as dramatic as it should have been because Carolina, uh, some poor coaching decisions, put the, the game in jeopardy and the chance to wrap made a play. So in my lifetime, um, that's the most dramatic Tar Heel Duke game I've ever seen. And like I said, when you look at all the the things that went into it from the great plays that were made by both teams, the way both teams fought, you add in some questionable officiating. It felt like what you see, you know, whenever these two teams meet on, on the basketball court where the rivalry really uh, means the most. And, uh, and, and so that, that really leads you to, to believe that this was maybe the best game we've ever seen these two programs play on the football field. I mean, it's definitely got to be up there. I mean, that's a great point about uh, sort of comparing the basketball, especially when you get into – the officiating, it always seems like that comes into play in every single one of those matchups. Either fan base always seems to be angry uh, about the officiating on one side, and that's exactly what we got in this game. And let you know what? Let's get the obvious out of the way then, since that, that's the direction that you started in. And a lot of people, I mean, they're 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 gonna complain about the officiating. And 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 look, I, I hear some of what they are saying. Um, there's really two plays in specific that are being talked about most in what right now amongst you know in the triangle area uh and really just amongst people in in the acc uh and it, it, it's first the catch by bryson nesbitt um that was ruled a catch after conversation on the field i think ultimately that was the right call uh i, I think it was you know a, a ball that was tied up between multiple defenders and him uh that the tie always is going to go to the receiver in that case the thing that I do agree with is it should have been reviewed. I think they would have stood with the call. Now, clearly, I mean, do I care that it wasn't reviewed? Oh, of course not. I, I don't care at all. And I think there, there needs to be a lot of credit given to Drake May and the offense for just getting up to the line of scrimmage and snapping the ball immediately. Great recognition by him. Um, it was, you know, you could tell it was a, a complete nothing play. It was literally just handed off to Hampton and run anywhere, figure it out, um, because we're just trying to get a snap off. Um, but it was weird because not only, I mean, yeah, Carolina rushed to the line of scrimmage, but there was a long pause. There was a discussion on the sideline with Mike Elko. I thought for sure the play was going to re be reviewed. I could not believe that they, did, that they had not buzzed down during that time. But for some reason, they didn't. Um, and you know, for Carolina, they get the, the, they're the beneficiaries of it. But again, like I said, I truly believe that if they review it, they called it a catch on the field. That was one that I think would have been really hard to overturn. The other one that people have issue with is up on the two point conversion and illegal man downfield. Um, some people initially pointed to Corey Gaynor. That's not the guy that I think most people are looking at. It's Willie Lampkin who is blocking a guy into the end zone. So when you look at those two plays, what do you think about the people that are sort of questioning if Carolina got the benefit of the doubt? And in some cases, people think that's the only reason Carolina won the game. Yeah, I mean, that's just, just inaccurate. Like, the officials didn't allow Carolina to drive 50 yards to to kick a field goal and, and, and force the game into overtime. Exactly. And, and what about the the fumble that Carolina forced, but somehow got ruled an incomplete pass um, when it was yeah it was a fumble? Um, yep. Somehow that got lost in the weeds. When it comes to the the, the catch last interception, I, I never saw the argument because Copenhaver went down to the ground with the ball, and Nesbitt. the tie goes to the receiver. And Nesbitt. that was that was uh, Nesbit that caught whoever. It. And 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 so that that getting lost. 
in translation was was something that I found quite hilarious. And then the the the, the illegal man downfield. If we're being honest, um, that happens more often than not that then it gets called. So I get in that moment whether he was Ill- illegally downfield or not. You know, it was up to them then the judge. They they either he was and they didn't see it or he wasn't and they didn't throw it. Also, good teams get calls. Calls go their way when you're a good team, whether that's right or wrong. Um, we're not here to judge. That's the nature of sports. You look at all the teams that are really good, that are to, to really great, the calls go their way, the bounces go their way. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what happened on Saturday. And, and and what really is frustrating is you know, for many people that are local sports fans that then are, are Panther fans, that was the best football game we've watched all year long in this state. Hands down. Like you had two good teams that were well coached, that had their kids play their tails off, um, and both teams made a bunch of plays. It sucks there had to be a loser. And we want to make this game about officiating? Let's just talk about the game. And it was a great game. And from the Carolina perspective, yeah, we're going to see it differently because we came out on the winning side. But even if Carolina would have lost the game and those calls go the other way, I don't think we'd be sitting here complaining about officiating costing Carolina the game. Um, Can't prove it because we're not sitting here talking about a loss. But, you know, I'm not one to to sit here and blame the officiating – I, I I don't think it played as pivotal a role as some people in the media have made it out to be. Yeah, I mean, I I yeah, I I agree. I think the fact that there are some people that are claiming this is literally the only reason that they won the game is is insane to me. Like, I mean, you got to sit there and look at that Duke defense, and I'm not saying that that Duke defense is is not a good defense, but like Carolina pushed that group around the majority of the night, especially in the running game. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as as we move along. But I mean, Carolina put up 537 yards of total offense. Like this was far, you know, officiating was far from the reason that they lost. And and I'm going to tell you, if if Carolina ends up coming out on the losing end of that game. And some of those calls go in reverse. We're probably doing a lot of what we did, mainly in the game against Georgia Tech. Because remember, that game against Georgia Tech, there was a big call that went against Carolina as well. There was that phantom holding call that went against Diego Pounds. That completely changed that whole game. Carolina could potentially win the game. But is that the reason that Carolina lost the game? Oh, God, no. You were up 14 nothing, and you found a way to lose. You had a double-digit lead in the fourth quarter and found a way to lose. And you almost did that again in this one. But I I think that's kind of where we would be at. I don't think that that is the main reason. And I'm going to tell you, the, the, the thing that's real odd to me is that most of the people that are saying that that was the only reason that Duke lost the game are not Duke fans. I mean, I don't see many Duke fans that claim that's the only reason that they lost the game. There's a few. There's definitely a few. Most of them, I don't really think, watch much of the football program. They're really more basketball fans that just hate Carolina and want to jump on the bandwagon. Um, but I, I think that it's a lot of the, it's a lot of people that are around the local media, and and I mean, whatever. If that's the way that you think the game went down, I mean, that's your opinion. Um, but there's facts there to prove that that's not the only reason that Carolina won this game. I'll tell you the main reason that Carolina won this game, now that we can put that that storyline behind us. The main reason Carolina won this game is because Drake May is just a freaking stud. He just continues to show you over and over again why this guy is going to be in the conversation to be the number one overall pick. And I, I got to tell you, the other night, I know he threw that interception. It wasn't a great throw. That's one he would definitely like to have back. Some of the plays that he made the other night were – unbelievable plays that will get you places in the NFL. They're things that you simply cannot teach. I mean, we were talking about it all day today on air at WFNZ, and every time somebody brought that game up, they talked about the plays that Drake May made of just finding somebody. Somebody is always there whenever he throws the football. 
I, I mean, the guy is just, I mean, special. I know that maybe uh, we, we label a lot of people like that, but this dude is truly a special talent rolling through Chapel Hill. Sam Howell was special in his own way, but I mean, the, some of the plays that he, that, that he made the other night, I mean, how many quarterbacks are actually making those types of plays with defenders draped all over them? Uh, huge throws on third down, um, you know, the two-point conversion, everything like that. I mean, this dude just – he has a flair for the dramatic, and, and it's why he's going to be not only a special quarterback here, but potentially a special quarterback at the NFL level. I know Amari and Hampton was really, really good the other night. Drake May willed his team to a win. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he – he, they, they overcame – Another crappy defensive performance. Um, they they overcame the defense blowing the lead with less than a minute to go to get the game into overtime um, because he didn't want his final game as a Tar Heel at home to go out with a loss to, to Duke. Um, you could tell how much it meant to him in the post game with the way he celebrated with with the fan base after the the fans had rushed the field and everything and um, him as much as 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 everybody else on on the offense and on the team, what they did Saturday was they did what they didn't do last year and in the two losses earlier this year, which was respond positive to adversity. Um, because earlier in the year, Carolina would have caved. They're not they're not driving the field in 41 seconds to kick a game-time field goal to force a game to overtime. That's just not happening. But, you know, Drake May put on a Superman cape and said, not today, we're not We're not losing at home, not like this, and made play after play after play. Um, and, and I said it in our instant uh, reaction video. I've been very open that I think there was a gap between Caleb Williams and Drake May. There still might be a gap because Caleb Williams' player comp is Patrick Mahomes. But that gap shrunk on Saturday. Like, 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 like Drake May made winning plays that – the only other quarterback in the country that can make is Caleb Williams. Not not Michael Penix Jr., not not Jaden Daniels, not these dudes that are doing historic type of things. Um, and then that, that speaks volumes about the type of guy that Carolina has a quarterback. And it's why we, we really uh, emphasized maximizing his potential while you had him on campus once he appeared to be this generational talent. Yeah, I mean, really the thing that, that impressed me the most is how many different times he kept coming back onto the field and responding for Carolina because it it could be easy to just say, I mean, man, this defense just sucks. Why why am I, you know, why am I busting my ass for this defense? And, I mean, look, it, it, the, the pressure never gets to this dude. Like, he, he just every time he found a way to respond and the other day and you and you felt confident that he was going to do do that for you I mean look Duke gets the onside kick drives down scores up 29 26 some quarterbacks that 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 could possibly be it especially when you look back at you know the Virginia game how that ended the Georgia Tech game which wasn't on him. That was a, you know, a great throw to Tez Walker. Tez just gets blindsided by a hit and loses the ball. Nothing you can do there. It's just a great play by Georgia Tech. But it would be easy to say, oh, no, we've been in this situation before, and the last two times we haven't gotten it done. He comes out, throws the bomb down the field to Tez Walker, and then the throw that he made to Bryson Nesbitt, I mean – my God, what an unbelievable catch by Bryson Nesbitt as well. But, I mean, just, I mean, a, a, a perfect throw to him where only he's able to catch it. That gives Carolina the lead. But then you have Duke drive down the field. You have them score a touchdown on fourth down, which we'll talk about that play and the defense as a whole coming up here in just a second. But then he comes out and leads this team 41 seconds leads this team into field goal range. You talk about some Mahomes-like stuff. You talk about some of the special players that you're seeing in the NFL right now. Just being able to say, okay, I'm going to put the team on my shoulders 41 seconds. I got plenty of time. I'll lead them right into field goal range. And let them, not only did you lead them into field goal range, you let them into manageable field goal range for uh, Noah Burnett. The kick was 43 yards. It wasn't like we were talking about Burnett having to hit something in the mid-50s 
Like, this is a dude that did exactly what he had to do. He knows where his kicker has to get to and gets there to uh, make the play. I mean, it's just it's, – it's special. And that play – I mean, I thought there were a ton of great plays from him all night. But I'd like to know, you know, if, if, if I was in the press conference today, I would have loved to ask Chip Lindsey, what was the play call on the two-point conversion? Because in my mind, from watching him in the stands, I told you what I thought the play immediately was going to be when I saw the formation that they were lined up in. I told you this is a screen pass to British Brooks. And I think that was what the play was supposed to be because Brooks was lined up behind uh, two receivers to the outside. Um, They were really just trying, it it looked like, to get numbers on the outside. Um, And, uh, you know, he looks that way. To his credit, he looks that way. And I think Drake saw that, okay, they they have the numbers out there. They're going to make a play. This is not going to work. I need to improvise here. Um, and you saw John Copenhaver get open in the back of the end zone. Um, I also do think you go back to the penalty that people are wanting called. Screenplays, it seems like they, they do let linemen get further downfield because that is an element of screenplays is being able to get your linemen downfield to block. I think that's part of the reason uh, that they also didn't look at that. It also probably helps that you are running that play from the three-yard line. Um, but I thought, you know, that you taught another play where Drake has a defender on him and somehow finds a receiver in the back of the end zone. I mean, that was truly a special play. I mean, it's got to, to me, that one's got to rank up right up there with the left-handed throw that he made against Pittsburgh. I mean, that was just unbelievable. And I, I, I just, I mean, soak it up while you can, guys, because this dude is a freaking monster and we have had two very special back-to-back uh quarterbacks here in chapel hill um and the other night for him to go out that way i thought was just freaking amazing um now you know let's let's talk about the defense and why drake had to be that special um I mean, this defense, guys, there's just no way to put it. I I think we were kind of holding off judgment on where exactly the defense was until after this game because we thought, okay, maybe Campbell was the confidence boost that they needed and they would come out and look different. Yeah, they did. They did for about three quarters, although the second quarter wasn't exactly great from them either. Duke uh, in the first quarter did absolutely nothing. Carolina came out ready to go. A lot of credit needs to be given to the staff for that, but – Got to be honest, I think that's pretty much what happens whenever uh, Carolina plays in this game. Now, they do allow 14 points in that second quarter, but only 88 yards. So the turnover from Drake May, the interception that we talked about earlier, really was what set Duke up in great position. So who knows what that actually looks like. Can't really put that one on the defense. That's fine. Through three quarters of this game, um, you know, 142 yards of offense for Duke uh, and only 14 points. Got to like where you're at defensively. But very similar to the game against Georgia Tech, Carolina just completely falls apart in that fourth quarter. 22 points, 209 yards. Now, this one was a little different because it was a balance of rushing yards, 84 to passing yards, 125. But, I mean, look, here's here's the thing. I saw a lot of people saying this is probably the nail in the coffin for Gene Chizik. And it's hard not to agree with that because, I mean, yeah, you stopped them for three quarters. But at this point, what does it matter if you can't stop teams when it matters the most in the fourth? It's frustrating. Um because there's really there's no there's no answers for it. There's no way to describe how you can look as good as you look for three quarters, and then in the fourth quarter you you look like you you hadn't played defense before. Um, and I don't think they were overly worn down because Carolina had dominated. It felt like the the game from a time of possession point because the offense was on the field for a long for for a long time. And and so you know I said going in. I thought the way that Gene Chizik would would call the game would tell you what he felt about his defense, if he trusted them or not. 
they weren't as aggressive as I wanted them to be. Maybe he knew something that we didn't um, when they decided to get aggressive there on, on that fourth down call in the fourth quarter. But um, I, I really have no words because if, if that had been the whole game, like we were just going up and down the field, okay, it's a track meet. It, it wasn't a track meet. It was a quarter meet. Like for 15 minutes, you just forgot how to stop them. And, you know, it really comes down to, I don't know if we just got gas, if we were just, you know, the the the, the year of the way this defense has played to finally caught up to them. You got to credit Duke's offense for for sticking with it and never getting discouraged. We told you that was going to happen going in. Mm-hmm. Like these dudes won a game completing four passes in modern football. That doesn't happen very often. So there's a belief in their, in their room, but. You know, it, it's it, it's it's really just it's really just mind blowing because I think we all thought entering the fourth quarter we got this thing under control, and then it was like someone flipped the light switch, and we had nothing, and all of a sudden we were back on our heels like we were that whole second half against Georgia Tech, and like we were that whole game against Virginia. Yeah, I mean, it's it, honestly, I mean, it reminds me a lot of last year's defense and the fact that one thing goes wrong and all of a sudden they can't stop anybody. But my thing was like, I I don't remember a play early in that fourth quarter that really changed anything. Like the play that would have made sense would have been middle of the third. They run the fake punt and pick up a first down. But what did they do after that? They ran three more plays and they punted the ball. So it wasn't like there was some dramatic shift. It's just for some reason, they did we we did we did the fourth quarter thing, you know, the little hype video, the fours in the air, all that stuff. And for some reason, it's just as if the mindset, I don't know if they're if they there, there was pressure that they put on themselves. I have no clue, but it looked like a completely different unit. I will say, I think on the uh, on the defensive line, they may have gotten a little worn down. Now they started rotating. The interior of the unit in the second half, first half, they pretty much played Kevin Hester and Miles Murphy almost the entire half. Second half, you started seeing more Javari Ritzy, Tamari Fox come in, but they didn't rotate the edge rushers, which I didn't really understand. Like, I mean, I pointed it out to you a few times throughout the night. I don't really get why Bo Atkinson wasn't on the field at times. And I get it. Look, Des Evans played a good game, man. I, I thought he did a good job of winning off the edge, but those are guys you got to rotate. Like you saw late in the game, dude, Cayman Rucker was freaking exhausted. He goes down hurt again, and I don't even know if he was hurt. I think he might have been cramping because the dude is playing, I mean, at least 90, 95% of the snaps as a D-end, as an edge rusher. Like that's crazy. So, I, I, I mean, I do think that was probably part of it. But I got to be honest, I mean, I know a lot of it, like a lot of people want to put it on the coaching. I think some of it was just execution. When you go look look at the look at all three of the touchdowns, I thought the two rushing touchdowns, especially the second one, I thought Amari, uh, uh, Armani Chapman just got way too far. He, he, for some reason, he crashed incredibly hard off the edge out of his corner spot. And Jordan Walters, the running back, just just beat him to the outside. Can't happen. Yeah. Like, if anything, you you let him beat you back inside and cut up field and, and make him cut back towards your linebackers and safeties. That that you can't you can't get caught that far inside. And the same thing happened on the first one as well. Um, I I don't remember if that was Marcus Allen that did that, or it might have been Elijah Huzzy who was out there at that time. It, it that it's just that cannot happen. And then you go to the fourth down play, and and really quickly, we'll talk about this because I thought it was you. You were talking to your dad yesterday before um, we headed over to the Smith Center, and he, he was asking you what you thought about the play call on fourth down from Gene Chizik to be aggressive. Um, this is apparently a thing that people are angry about. Well, they shouldn't have blitzed on that play. Um, I, I don't. I, I just don't understand that mindset. Now you could argue that they shouldn't have gone with a with, with a zero blitz, where they basically blitz seven guys. 
that may have been a little bit too aggressive. I, I, I've seen a lot of people that have said that um, Taylor Vipolis and Jeff Shopmer, who uh, host a podcast for Inside Carolina, sort of breaking things down. They were talking about Jeff Shopmer in particular was talking about how um, he didn't mind the call, but the thing that didn't make sense to him was why the two safeties that blitzed um, were not closer to the line of scrimmage when they blitzed. You had two guys apparently that came from way back in the secondary and blitz where if you're going to be that aggressive, just literally load them into the box and come after them. They wouldn't have been able to block them because the numbers wouldn't have lined up, um, which I thought was interesting. But I got to be honest, I don't know if that would have helped that much because I got Marcus Allen just got beat. Like he just got beat on the outside. So I think it, you could say it's coaching, but I think more than anything, it's just a lack of execution from these guys on defense. Yeah. To me, that was, it was twofold. I love, I love the, the aggressiveness to blitz. Like you want to make a third string quarterback, make the throw. He makes the throw. You don't leave Marcus Allen one-on-one with no safety help over the top. You want to do that with Elijah Huzzy? I trust I, I trust Huzzy in that moment to make the play because he's made those plays in big moments all year long. And so that was the that was the mistake that that Gene Chizik made was, you know, blitzing the wrong people. Um the, the fact that Shotmer's pointing that out means that, that that hopefully that got pointed out in film. And hopefully that's Gene Chizik saying, I got to do a better job. Like under you, like you've got to be communicated where I want you to be when you're coming to to get the blitz, but don't, don't, don't put your young corner in that spot uh, with with, with no help. And because what happens is what happens. So um, I think it's one where you'd hope in the film room, the coach is pointing at himself, but also so is Marcus Allen because Mm -hmm. he can't get beat in that situation. So, um, it was fortunate it didn't cost Carolina the game because if, if Carolina doesn't, you know, go down and force a field goal and force overtime and then win the game in overtime, I might be overstepping when I say this. I don't know if Gene Chizik would still be employed this morning because that would have been just a critical, crucial error that cost you uh, any chance at making an ACC title game. It would have cost you a home win against uh, against your rival yeah I, I i i mean look probably not he probably would still be employed because mac brown is an incredibly loyal fella we know that we've talked about it at length on this podcast um but yeah i know i i i agree with you i think they blitz too many guys i i thought it should have been six and they probably would have been okay although i get the point that jeff shotmer made where if the guys are closer to the line of scrimmage and it's an all-out blitz you're literally there's there's no way to to block all those guys nope if somebody would have been in loftus loftus's face talking about a guy that's a true freshman making his first career start on the road that that would have if the kid makes the throw there what are you going to do? Um, in terms of trusting Allen on the outside, I mean, yeah, I get what you're saying. I got to tell you, I, I, for the most part, that has not been a huge issue for Marcus Allen. I feel like downfield, he has done a really good job of covering guys. That that was one of the first times that I really was left scratching my head with him at corner where I was like, how in the world did that happen right there? Um, but I, I, I will tell you, my biggest issue with that play was the timeout call. I did not understand. You had them in fourth and seven on their heels, needed a play to keep the game alive. Crowd was, I mean, into it. That was as loud as the crowd was all night. You call timeout, and then you have to get the crowd back into it. And granted, it it got loud again. It did. But I just, to me, that's one of those scenarios you talk about some of the game managing stuff from Mac Brown. That's, that's a little frustrating. That's one of those moments where it's like, it feels like all the momentum is going in your favor. Your defense is cranked up. Why not keep that energy level that high and just, just, just play the play. Like, I don't understand why. And look, you called timeout 
And what ends up happening? Not only do you give up the first down, you give up a touchdown. So what did that really do for you? I, I, I just that to me was what bothered me about that play, and that's yeah. why I think you know it, it feels like at times they're kind of overthinking stuff in that scenario. Just let the play play out. I, I feel like like I didn't have a problem with it because nine times out of ten coaches are going to call a timeout in that situation because the game's on the line. You want to make sure that everything is properly communicated. Everything is. You know, like, because, like, if Carolina executes the blitz correctly, we're probably crediting the timeout because you got everything on the all, you know, everyone on the same page. Everybody knew what, what, what their job was. They go out there and they execute it. So, well, I got to be honest. To me, they were probably going to blitz anyways, right? Like, I think regard, I don't think that was one where they were, where they were going to play a conservative. They came to the sideline and Gene was like, okay, I'm, I'm thinking now I'm going to send everybody. I feel like I would hope that was the original play call was, okay, let's be aggressive. Let's go after his ass right here. And I, I just, I don't know. To me, like, I just, it, this is the argument though. We had this so many times. Remember when Roy Williams was the coach of Carolina? where in late-game situations, people would say, well, you should call the timeout. Other people would say, no, you don't call the timeout. You got them, you know, you got them scrambling, go after them, something like that. I feel like this is a very similar situation. So, I mean, yeah, I, 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 we disagree on it, but I think we can both agree that the execution just has to be better, especially in the fourth quarter on a crucial down like that. You just – you've got to be able to make plays because when you have the type of defense that Gene Chizik's – defense is which is bend don't break those are the types of plays you have to make in crucial moments um let's let's talk about an element of the game uh another element that possibly could have costed carolina uh, but there was one guy in particular that stuck out uh, that had a huge night and that's special teams carolina yeah i've mentioned it they let up the uh fake punt in the middle of the third quarter on a drive good response by the defense to get get uh, that team right back off the field. Uh, but the onside kick was what nearly uh, nearly lost Carolina the game because it gave Duke the lead right back. Um, I thought it was uh, amazing. There was a guy that was sitting in front of us in our section in 222. Old man, very into the game, loved him, loved it. Um, this guy literally right before they kick it yells, watch for the onside kick. And sure enough, I I thought at that moment I'm like, you know what? He's got a point. This could be a this could be a good moment if you're Mike Elko to go with an onside kick. Carolina had no idea it was coming, uh, and at that point I was sitting there in my seat saying, oh my god, special teams is really what's going to cost this team this game. Um, but you cannot talk about this game without talking about the performance of Noah Burnett, and it is probably. The big, I mean, outside of Drake May, it's probably the biggest reason Carolina won this game. Six of six on field goals, four of four in the first half, and then two of two down the stretch. He gets the 43-yarder, as I mentioned, uh, at the end of regulation. And by the way, that is about as close as it comes to nearly getting a kick blocked. Yeah. The fact that he was able to stay as focused as he was and knock that through, great job. And then he hits another one that's pressure packed. I get it. Twenty three yards is not the most the, the most intimidating field goal ever, but with the game on the line, needed it. He ends up knocking that one through. And again, I think when you talk about him, you have to go back to the fact that he faced so many kicks like this late last season and could not seem to make any of them. And the other night, Carolina relied on him over and over again because their red zone offense was terrible. And he found a way to step up every single time. It's it's what you love about sports is when you see a guy come back after after failure. And I think it's one of the biggest reasons why Mac Brown was so emotional in the postgame was his team as a whole, but also individual guys overcame things that whether earlier this year or earlier in their career, they didn't overcome. Um, and he was Carolina's red zone offense. He was it because they couldn't – they could move the ball to the 20, but once they got there, they couldn't punch it across the goal line, it felt like. And then 
you know, to to make that kick. He doesn't make that kick a year ago to force overtime. He doesn't. Nope. Um, you, you know, and then as close as it was to being blocked, because I can't repeat what I said while I was watching the kick taking place, but I thought it was getting blocked mm-hmm. because a, a, a Duke guy had come free. And then, you know, he makes a 23-yarder in overtime. And, you know, it just felt like every time Carolina needed him, he was there. And the fact that they were able to, to overcome giving up an onside kick, they had some leaks uh, in, in, in their kickoff return game as, as well, um, was just a testament to that group not giving in and not letting one mistake or one bad play cost them. Because, I mean, that's been the difference for this group and this team and this program is one one thing goes wrong and all of a sudden Carolina doesn't recover. You gave up a, an onside kick. You gave up a fake punt. You 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 threw uh, uh, an interception inside your own 20 to give them, you know, the ball inside your red zone, and you still found a way to win. And and that's how you go from good to great. Whether Carolina's going to be great at the end of the year, we don't know. These next two games will determine if this is a great team by our standards. But um, as someone who was very critical of Noah Burnett last year, happy as heck for a kid. Because that's what you love about about sports um, is seeing guys respond to adversity. And he was another guy that stood up tall to the challenge on Saturday night. Yeah, saw resiliency all night from the team. And it's only fitting that the guy that was really carrying them uh, in the red zone, as you mentioned, for most of the night is a guy that had to be resilient himself after last year. Um, real quickly, I mean, they're on the red zone offense. I mean, my God. I, I, I haven't seen that bad a red zone offense since I watched the Giants play. Oh, that's right. Yesterday. Um, I, I mean. How about them? I don't really know. Congratulations. You beat a third string quarterback in a team that hopefully is trying to lose for the quarterback we talked about earlier. Do it, damn it. Do it. Uh, I I just, I first, I, I do think a lot of credit has to be given to Duke. Because I thought, for the most part, Carolina did a great job, especially Tez Walker, did a great job of winning downfield. He he was, I mean, freaking outstanding the entire night. Him and Bryson Nesbitt, I mean, carried that receiving game, but especially Walker. I mean, 162 yards on seven catches. Like, he, he is exactly what we thought he was going to be. But I thought for the most part, outside of those deep throws, I thought there were a lot of times where Duke's secondary just locked down Carolina. I thought the protection – was good for Drake. Things people were yelling at him. You got to find somebody. I, I I just didn't think there was a lot open. But I will say this: the red zone passing game, I thought was incredibly basic. I did not see any sort of rub routes. Any it was way too basic of routes on the outside and even in the slot for guys. They were relying on guys to simply win their routes one-on-one. And I think you have to be able to get more creative. I I thought towards the end of the game, they started getting a little bit more creative going under center. I thought some of those, some some of the the plays that they made uh, late were, you know, more indicative of what you're hoping to see from this offense. But I, I, to me, like, I thought, especially in the first half, that red zone offense, a lot of it just made no sense at all for me. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely the worst play calling I think we've seen from Chip inside the 20. I also think Duke's game plan was kind of what you typically see from Carolina, which was we're going to let you move it to the 20, but once you get in there, we're going to make you earn it. And Carolina just wasn't able to convert. Um, but luckily, you had a field goal kicker that you could trust to just keep trotting them back out there so you weren't putting up goose eggs. So I think it's something that um, these next two weeks, it's got to be better. Um, you're not going to go on the road yeah. against Clemson and State and kick six field goals and expect to win the game. Just not. No matter how good or bad those offenses are, it's just not a recipe for success or trying to win these types of games on the road. And so um, luckily, Carolina was able to, to overcome it in a win. Um, you know, we kind of pointed this out after I think the Miami or might have been might have been the Virginia game that the red zone offense was having issues, but Carolina was still scoring and was so explosive they were able to overcome it. 
then you have a couple back-to-back losses, it really brings an emphasis, even in a win. That's got to be something that's got to be talked about this week because we know they can move the ball up and down the field on virtually any offense in the country. But if they're trying to finish this thing strong, they got to push those those red zone opportunities in, in, into touchdowns. And so um, I think you got to do a little bit more trying to get Bryson Nesbitt isolated on the outside because he's such a matchup problem. Do some other things with your weapons outside of just trying to force Tez Walker the ball because Carolina does have multiple dudes that they can throw the football to once they get inside that 20-yard line. Yeah, and again, I think part of it is just just the play design of, of trying to use some of these rub routes, try to free some guys up. It, it shouldn't be that you know guys simply have to win off the line of scrimmage. Like I feel like part of it, and, and it doesn't really make sense because Chip Lindsey was not the offensive coordinator, but a lot of it, like it looks like Carolina's red zone offense the past few years, which Phil Longo relied so much on. It, in the passing game, Josh Downs to free himself up by just running great routes. And we saw that there were there were plenty of times where it just doesn't work. Um, I think Bryson Nesbitt has been a huge weapon. There's no doubt about that. Um, I, I think you saw it again the other night on that catch that he made uh, that gave Carolina the 33, uh, or I guess technically the 32-29 lead at the time. Um but, I mean, you can't always rely on just throwing it and allowing a guy to go up and get it. You've got to get creative with how you do stuff. And maybe, you know, what we saw late in the game where they did go under center, maybe that is them getting a little bit more creative. And hopefully we do see a little bit more than that. Um, but even early in the game, you know, I thought, uh, you know, he had where he, he did the quarterback sneaks back-to-back. I, I didn't really understand that. I, I, I got, you know, trying to get up there and, and, and run it once when it didn't work. Hand it to your running back. Yep. You got one of the best in the country. Yep. Like that, that is what what was frustrating to me is that it just seemed like they were rushing things at times down in the red zone. Um, speaking of that running back, I'm going to tell you that you know the performance of Drake, the defense struggling in the fourth quarter. A lot of that stuff's going to overshadow what was just another amazing performance for Amari and Hampton. And look. Drake May was special in this game. There's no doubt about it. He was probably the biggest reason Carolina won. Noah Burnett was probably number two. Carolina does not win this game if Amari and Hampton is not in that backfield. 31 carries, 169 yards, finds the end zone once again, 47 yards receiving, over 200 yards from scrimmage for the third time this season. I mean, this dude is, is putting together a special season he is already ninth in single-season rushing yards uh, after uh, 10 games. So he's going to, you know, at this point we know he's guaranteed three games. Um, I, 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 for some reason, and we'll, we'll, lay, we'll, we'll talk about it here in just a second, um, there's still a chance that it, there could be four more games on the table. Um, but, I, I mean, this dude is just – amazing and it continues to surprise me that more people nationally are not talking about how special of a season this guy is having right now hey he's he's gonna be a finals for the dope uh, the, the dope walker award which is the best running back award in, in, in college football um you know i said it in our instant reaction video he'll never he'll, he won't put up the type of numbers that'll get a mention with the all-time greats because he's only going to be here, you can imagine, one more season and then he's gone. But he's one of the best running backs to ever play at Carolina. Um, and, and you've seen why. You saw it at different times last year, and you've really seen it at times this year. If you'd have told me that would be his stat line going into the game, I'd have told you Carolina would have blown Duke out because we know how good that Duke defense is. Well, if the um, red zone he, offense would have worked the way it was supposed to, we would have. <laughs> and, and so it's just a testament to him, you know, that – Week in, week out, he showed up, and he has been a the focal point of the running game for Carolina. He was spectacular the other night. Um, it's a good feeling knowing you can hand the ball off and get four to six yards virtually every single time. It makes the game so much easier for Drake and, and all our talented wideouts and, and tight ends. So, um, you know, excited to see how he caps off what has been as fun a dominant uh, running a uh, running back we uh, we've seen since 
Javante Williams and Michael Carter were both in the same backfield not too long ago. Yeah, I, I mean, it's amazing. I, he's His legacy, I think, is going to go down a lot like Gio's will, where, you know, with Gio, you can put him right near the top of the best running backs to ever come through Carolina because his two years of production were outstanding. And I feel like that's probably, you're right. I think that might be where we're headed with, with Hampton. The one, the one shining light may be that running backs aren't valued nearly as much nowadays in the NFL as they used to be. So maybe, especially if the NIL money is good, he does stick around, but I mean, this dude, this dude, what he's doing is, is very special. And the thing that's crazy to think too, is you got to think the dude did not start the year as the starter in the backfield. That was British Brooks. And after that game against App State, there was just no way you could, you could go away from him. And really since that game, he has been absolutely phenomenal in every game for Carolina, especially the ones where they have needed him to step up the most. All right. Well, we started the podcast with controversy. We'll end it with some controversy because that's right. People are mad about uh, students, 20-something-year-olds, storming a field. And they're also mad about Mac Brown showing emotion after the game. Um, I mean, I got to be honest. I think both of them are, are, are a little strange to me. Like, I, I don't really care that much at all about the fact that Carolina stormed the field after the game. I know people bring up the fact that it was a third-string quarterback. It was a team that you were a double-digit favorite against. You should have beaten. Uh, yeah, I get it. Dramatic play at the end in the final home game of the season in what is likely the final game of Drake May at Carolina. Um, I, I I don't really have that much of an issue with it at all. Um, it do, To me, it doesn't really matter all that much because it's – it's it's Tario football. It's not Tario basketball, and that doesn't mean that you know people are trying to say, oh, that means that you think that Tario football is just an average program to do that. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying with Carolina basketball, clearly the prestige of the program. There are multiple programs throughout the country, and I got sideways looks on the morning show this morning when I said this. There are multiple programs out there that should never rush the floor ever. Carolina, Duke. Kansas, Kentucky, those are the types of schools you should never rush the floor. But in football, I think it's a much different scenario. Um, so I didn't have an issue with that. And, and the people, I I just, the people that want to get angry about Mac Brown showing emotion and basically <laughs> laughing at it and asking why would you show that much emotion after you barely beat a team that you were supposed to beat. I mean, dude, the guy cares about his kids. Like, do you really want to coach – that just doesn't care at all about his kids. What do you prefer, Lane Kiffin? You prefer Lane Kiffin, who sh showed you last week that, or at least not a bit, something came out that showed you he doesn't care about his kids. Like that's what you prefer from your coaches, because oh my god, at least they're manly. Ah, they got hair on their peaches. Ah, like, are we serious? I, I just I, – the people that are getting that angry over either one of those things, like, come on, guys. Get out and see some light. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there were some things that played into the the storm in the field. If that was a day game, I don't think Carolina storms the field. I think because it was at night, you know, everyone was cranked up. Then the game goes late into the night. You have such a dramatic finish. Everybody the was game, drunk. You know, the game the finished section. in front of the student section – Probably played a role in Carolina yep. storming the field. Um, I, I think the student section knew what was what was happening with that being Drake May's final game. So to have a chance to maybe embrace him um, for the two years of football he's given us well, was something that that, that played into it. Um, it. It was odd in the sense that like you you didn't clinch like you know in a spot in the ACC title game or anything, but you know it, it was. They're kids being kids, having fun, um, and it was against your rival. So, and it doesn't mean as much as the state game means. But it, for for these kids, it was their for a lot of those kids, it was their final football game as a student at Keenan Stadium. 
Mm-hmm. So they were going to go out with the bang. And then as for Mac Brown crying, like it's, it's one of the reasons why we, we like Mac Brown while we love Mac Brown as, as two dudes that are as critical as anybody in the Tar Heel community, like openly criticize him. Cause I, 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 I know that on the one hand, he's the one dude that makes me believe we can be something that we've never been in football. I also know he's the reason why we'll probably never be that. And as much as him crying was about his kids overcoming adversity, a lot of it was about himself too, because he knew what would that post game would have been if Carolina would have lost mm-hmm. another double digit loss at home. You know, now you've lost a, a game at home to a third string quarterback to your other rival after doing it last year at NC state. And so I think for him as a guy that's tried that made it known when he got back into coaching, I'm going to enjoy the wins a lot more than I ever did while I was at Texas. And it's two different natures of the beats. Like at Texas, you you know you you can't enjoy wins like that. You can enjoy those wins here. Mm-hmm. And and he's done a much better job this go around enjoying the wins. And so as proud as he was at seeing the same group of kids that failed two weeks ago and three weeks ago to respond, they then respond. A lot of it was for him personally because he knows what would have been said about him if Carolina would have lost by guys like you, by guys like me. Um, and, I'm, and I'm open enough saying that I would have been very critical of him had they gotten beat because it had been a third time it happened. But, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, it, it's, it, it's why you like him. Because you don't ever doubt that, A, he loves the school, and, B, you never doubt that he loves his kids. And that's what you want from coaching. So that, that's that's what you, like yes, we want them to win. That's what they get paid millions of dollars ultimately to do, is to win football games, win basketball games. But they're also there to impact lives. And when you're that emotional, you can tell he has an impact on his locker room. Yeah, I, I mean it's it's exactly why when you when we bring up the stuff of he's not going to get over the hump you know, it, it, that he may not be able to take this program from, from good to great. And I, I, I just, I, like, I hate bringing that up anyways in this edition because this is not what this edition is supposed to be about. But it's why whenever those conversations happen and people want to po- point to us and say, oh, my God, you guys are celebrating that the team's losing. You guys love talking about this. No, we hate it. Because I, I I want him to be the guy that takes Carolina there because he has been through so much with this university. I mean, you know, for him to for him to even entertain coming back at, at his age was unbelievable. And he's come back and you know, he's done more than I think at that time any of us would have believed. But yeah, I mean it gets frustrating that you you buy in and at, and and it seems like Carolina always comes up short. I think you're right. I think part of it was definitely personal. I think the other part of it is we we don't really know what goes on in the halls, in the locker room, at practice. We don't know the emotions that he sees every day from these kids. I would imagine that it was very, very hard on these guys after they lost at home to Virginia, and then after they lose on the road to Georgia Tech in the fashions that they did, where they feel, they know those guys in that locker room felt like we had a chance to win both of those games. We had a chance to have a special season, and it hurt. I mean, you you definitely probably had guys that took it very, very hard. And I think that was probably, those were the guys that Mac Brown was probably brought to tears over where the guys that are like him that take wins and losses very hard. Um, and I, I think, you know, for him to show that emotion, it's, 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 it's why people love playing for coach Brown. It's, it's why, you know, people get excited to be recruited by him. Why you hear kids light up when they talk about him because they can just tell that it's a guy that cares. And, and, that's not saying there aren't other coaches. There are plenty other coaches throughout the country that care on a deep level like that. Um, I mean, geez, dude, Sharon Moore. I mean, he. I've never seen a man that loves Jim Harbaugh more. I don't even think his wife loves him as much as that man does. Um, 
But I, I think with Mac Brown, you know, if you criticize him for being emotional, I, I just, I just think you're looking for something to hate about the man, because that's the one thing that you can never question with him is his commitment to his team, his commitment to his kids, his commitment to his coaches, all that stuff. And it's, it's just, it's special. And we got to see it again the other night. Um, one last thing, cause you brought up, you know, the students sort of celebrating Drake may, and I, I got to bring this up and then we'll get out of here. I cannot believe there was not some sort of attempt to point out, not that it was Drake may's last game there, but I could not believe that they did not have, or I mean the PA announcer himself or the program itself did not have the thought in their mind to when they brought Drake out for the first drive of the game, did not have the thought to announce that he was coming into the game. I thought they did a horrible job of trying to recognize the most special quarterback in the history of your program. He did not get to have the moment that Sam did. And I mean, even Sam, you know, that, that sucked that he – got honored and then didn't get to play in the game. Um, but some of these other quarterbacks that have been on campus that have been all time greats have had a special moment. I thought they could have made it more special for Drake may. And I feel like they dropped the ball on that. He got a special moment celebrating with his fan base on the field after beating Duke. Cause that's ultimately what mattered because if you give him a special moment and you lose, who gives a damn? Ultimately, like he'll in his mind, he lost his last ever game there. So, could they have done something? Sure. Do I think Drake would have traded a special announcement as opposed to celebrating on the field with with his with his fan base, knowing that he's a Carolina boy, knowing what it means to beat Duke, no matter what the sport is? I don't think so. So, um, hopefully, the next time we're in this position, we're a little bit more thoughtful mm-hmm. um, and make sure that because he can say he doesn't know and, and but because he's being, you know, that's what you got to say this time of the year. Everybody and their mother knows he's going to the NFL. We've got, yeah. unless they make it to Charlotte, we've got two more games with the guy. And then he's done as a Tar Heel because he probably won't play the bowl game. Um, but he, he, he got his moment. And, and I think that was divine intervention saying, you know what? We're not going to do it now. We're going to let, we're going to let us, we're going to let us honor him later. Yeah. And you, you, another thing that you mentioned right there that I forgot to mention, um, Carolina can still make the ACC title game. Apparently there was an article that was written uh, after the win from Louisville on Friday night. Uh, it was actually written, I believe on Sunday after all the games concluded Uh, Carolina is not eliminated from ACC title game contention. I was of the belief that they were, and Greg Barnes of Inside Carolina put out a tweet the other day that basically said if if Louisville wins and Florida State wins, then Carolina is eliminated. And I don't know, maybe I read the tweet wrong from Greg Barnes. It's certainly possible. I am far from the greatest reader. I have not read a book. Uh, I got to be honest. I probably haven't read a book since high school. but I, I so apparently if Carolina wins out and Louisville loses next weekend, it is possible that Carolina can make it to the ACC title game. Um, I don't know if there is a certain margin that Louisville has to lose by. I, I, I don't know if they need wins from Virginia or Georgia Tech. Not really sure. Um, but there is a scenario. So as of right now, it appears Carolina is still alive to be able to potentially make it back to Charlotte, but it's going to take really a miracle. Carolina has got to lose, got to win their last two games and they've got to find a way for Louisville to lose. So, uh, of course we'll be keeping you up to date with all of that on the website, heeltoughblog.com. Uh, guys, make sure you head over there, check out uh, an article that's going to be going up here shortly after we conclude this. Uh, Carolina did give an update on one of their uh, guys that have been starting at corner for them uh, before the last two weeks, Teon Holloway. Uh, they gave an update on his status earlier today before the press conference that Mac Brown had. 
Um, so we'll have that up there for you guys to take a look at. Of course, make sure you go back and check out our takeaways from the game against Duke uh, from the other night. Uh, just an amazing game. That's one you should want to relive as often as possible. So make sure you check that out. We will have a stock report uh, for you guys that will be coming out here in the midweek for you guys to check out. And then, of course, we'll be getting you ready for Carolina's game on the road at Clemson, a very, very tough one. Carolina's six-and-a-half-point dogs in that one, uh, and we'll have you covered the entire way uh, as Carolina uh, heads down to Clemson to take on uh, a reinvigorated Tiger team. Uh, meanwhile, on the basketball side of things, Carolina, as we mentioned, we were in attendance yesterday for their win over Lehigh, a 90-68 to victory over the Mountain Hawks, and Josh has you covered on the website with that. He's got that recap up there that you guys – can check out, so make sure you guys do that. Um, we have you covered on the podcast side of things as well. We did the recap of uh, the Lehigh game, and we'll be carrying you throughout the season on that side of things as well, me and him there. Uh, he will uh, do everything uh, that he can on the website side of things. I'll chip in occasionally as well for you guys with those previews and recaps and, of course, any other news that comes out during the basketball season. So, once again, that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. I uh, want to thank you guys. I uh, want to thank Josh for hosting with me, of course, fighting through a little bit of an illness uh, as well. Uh, but the voice held up pretty nicely. Uh, I sounded like Buzz Williams earlier this morning on the basketball podcast. So uh, make sure that you guys definitely check that out. Uh, but want to thank him once again for hosting with me. want to thank you guys for watching and listening. And as always, Go Toriel and go to hell, dude.